are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Turn to the last chapter of Hebrews, will you please? I shall begin to read at verse 10. There's no more beautiful sound than the turning of Bible leaves when it's not too long. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Literally, we seek one coming, one which is to come. We have an altar from which they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Back in the days of the Old Testament, the high priest would bring three animals to the altar, a bullock and two lambs. He sacrificed the bullock to make atonement for his own sins. The Lord Jesus Christ did not need to sacrifice a bullock or any other kind of sacrifice or himself, because he was sinless. We're the beneficiaries of the, only, the undivided value of the blood of Jesus. When Christ, my Lord, atonement made himself upon the cross he laid. High priest of God, yet lamb was he, whose blood was shed to set me free. And now he sits at the Father's side, that all who trust may be justified. The Lamb of God who gave his life, yet priest of God who drove the knife. A lamb hanged on a cross to bleed, a priest whose blood our cause did plead. And now he sits at the Father's side, that all who trust may be justified. But the high priest of the Old Testament made atonement for himself, and then he made atonement for the sins of the people. He cast lots to see which of the lambs, these were lambs of the goats, would be reserved as a scapegoat. The other was sacrificed. And with the blood of it, he made atonement, a covering for the sins of the people. He went into the Holy of Holies, where he had sprinkled the blood of the bullock and sprinkled the blood of a lamb. And the bodies of those beasts, the bullock and the lamb, whose blood was brought into the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, for the high priest for sin, were burned outside the camp. They were turned over to other priests who took them out there and burned them at a place known as the Place of Ashes. Now, God instituted these Old Testament ceremonies because he knew that Jesus Christ would be crucified outside of the city. He was crucified without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. God foreknew all of this, and he established all the types of the Old Testament uh, to illustrate the things he would do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, I say it reverently, Jesus Christ is an outcast 
of human society. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. I don't mean the material universe. That was made by him, too. He made all things that were made. But the world, the organized world system, the Greek word is cosmos. It used to apply to the orderly arrangement of the heavens back in the days of classical Greek. But in the days of Christ and the apostles, it had reference to the organized world system, particularly the Roman Empire. Uh, he made the world, the organized world. It was he who appeared to Noah and said, scatter out and replenish the earth, and he established human government. We speak of the dispensation of human government and the dispensational, dispensational period of human government. But he established that. But the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, in the first instance, that pronoun own is in the neuter gender. He came unto his own things. And in the second instance, it's in the masculine gender and has reference to people. He came to his own things, and his own people received him not. He came to his own sphere of rule, his own kingdom, his own throne. The throne of David had long since fallen down, but he had the power and the authority to raise it up again as he shall when he comes back the second time. He came to his own things, but his own people received him not. They said, away with him, crucified. We have no king but Caesar. And Jesus Christ was an outcast crucified outside the gate. He turned from his own, he arose from the dead, and uh, sent the Holy Spirit into the world to gather out a people for his name. And from every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation, he is calling a people. But he established the church. Now, usually when you find the word church in the New Testament, it has reference to a local church. But the, there is that great church of the firstborn, which appear on Mount Zion, and uh, that's spoken of in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. But in the latter days of the church age, as we find it foreshadowed in the book of Revelation, we find the Lord Jesus Christ standing outside the church, knocking at the door of the organized church, pleading for an individual to come and sup with him. If any man will open the door, I will sup with him and he can sup with me. He made the church. He's outside. He created this world. He made the world of men. And he's rejected. Rejected by the nation. So I repeat, he's an outcast of human society. There's a line drawn separating Jesus Christ from this world. And that line is so indelible that nobody can be on both sides. There's a gulf fixed and so wide nobody can stand on both sides. Love not the world wrote the Apostle John, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the Apostle James wrote, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and he that will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God? And the Lord Jesus himself prayed in his high priestly prayer, Father, keep them in the world. They are in the world, but they are not of the world. We're not of this godless world if you're born again. Now, as long as we're in the world, we have relevance to it. And we have social responsibility. And that's not the social gospel. primary purpose of the gospel 
is to win individuals to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not of this world when we're born again, but as long as we're here, we have a refining influence. It always has been true that the church of Jesus Christ is the salt of the earth. But when the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. That will, it has happened in many countries. It happened in Russia. And the churches were confiscated, all the property. The priests were killed by the tens of thousands. It happened in Germany, under the Third Reich. And it's happened in many other lands, where the church has been walked on, been made a sidewalk. It uh, lost its savor. And as it loses its power in the United States of America, it'll be walked on. And if we go on as we have been going for the last three decades, and perhaps longer, Russia won't have to attack us. Uh, She'd just wait till we rot to the core. Some people say, why doesn't God send judgment to America? He has sent judgment. All of God's judgments are not like lions that roar down from a mountainside. Some of them like moths. Uh, Hosea said, thus saith Jehovah, I will be unto Judah as a lion and unto Ephraim as a moth. I will be as rottenness unto Judah. You don't know a moth is at work until you go for a silken garment or a woolen garment and find it riddled with holes. The retroactive influence of the sins of the American people has so eaten holes in the fabric of character that character is well nigh threadbare. And I repeat, if we go on as we have been going, we won't, Russia wouldn't have to attack us. We'll rot to the core. That's judgment. God's judgment in the form of mob, rottenness. We need a turning back to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That will do more for society than any, any social gospel could possibly do. Yet, individuals to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're in the world and not of it. So prayed Jesus to the Father and said, Keep them in this world. He said to the disciples, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Young people, this world is not a friend of yours. Uh, the world hates you if you're a child of God. You let me go down the street, old blear-eyed, bloating, bloated body, body boozer looking more like a beer keg in disguise than a human being. I can fall in the gutter and lie there in a stupor and somebody will say, good old Monk Park or good old drunk Monk. He's a regular fellow, but you let me get right with God. I don't drink the lie and the curse the smoke the chew the gamble. And the world look at me and say, he's a fanatic. Something's wrong with him. Well, they laughed at the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go forth to him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, if you go with Jesus, you'll bear reproach. It's not some who live godly in Christ Jesus, but all who live godly in Christ Jesus, not may suffer persecution, but shall suffer persecution. If you don't suffer some kind of persecution, my friend, you don't live godly in Christ Jesus. Some people say, if I get right with God, I'll have to give up my friends. No, you won't. You come clean with the Lord Jesus Christ, you get right with God, they'll give you up. The day I came to Jesus, I made a trip on a streetcar all the way across the city to see three friends who were staying over at a local college during the summertime. Boys from my hometown, they laughed me to scorn. One of them, I said, I've got saved and I want you to know about it and, and I want you to be saved. He said, Monk Parker, a Christian. He said, Cut out your Sunday school stuff. Said, we're going to have a big shindig next Friday night. Already got the liquor. We want you to be with us. 
I went to see another fellow. He said, ho, 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 you're a Christian. <laughs> he said, man, you can make money. I'm going to make money. And he did. He made big money. The other fellow laughed too. He said, hee, 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 hee. He said, we're going, to, we're going to take over around here. He didn't take over. He got kicked out. But he said he's going to. In fact, a later woman took him over. And uh, I won't go into all of that, but old Braxton laughed at me and said, we're going to have a big shindig. He had his shindig. He had many of them. One night he got up drunk in a hotel. Years later than that, he got up and went out in the car and borrowed a bucket from a char wound, put it down to the side of his bed, and the dead of night he fell out of the bed, rammed his face down his own vomit, and broke his neck on the edge of the bucket. I remembered how he laughed at me and said, Cut out your Sunday school stuff, buddy. We're going to have a big shindig. Old Bill made his money, too. He made a million dollars. He had the biggest mill in Alabama, biggest slumber mill. And uh, he said to a certain congressman, a congressman said to him, let me sell you my timber in a certain county. He owned the county, just about. And he said, well, get me an RFP loan, and I'll put a mill down there and cut it. And he got the loan. And uh, then Drew Pearson began to nose into the RFC loans, and he said, I can't let you have my timber. So he was stuck with a $600,000 loan, and what Uncle Sam objected to was that he borrowed money from his own bank to pay it back, kept two sets of books. When he was in the penitentiary down in Atlanta, he sent for me and asked me to pray for him. I remembered how he laughed at me. He's, he's saved now. He's in heaven. He died of emphysema. Cigarettes killed him. Kept an oxygen tank by his bed the last six months of his life. You know, after a fellow uses those things around 35 or 40 years, his lungs get leathery. I hate them because it's, they've killed so many loved ones of mine. I hate them as much as a fellow that stepped on one every time he saw it and grounded into the sidewalk or the street. Poor fellow died of the cancer of the foot, but... Uh, <laughs> You take your stand for Jesus, they'll either come to Christ or they'll give you up. Let them laugh. I don't like people to laugh at me. And this, I'll be honest with you, I've still got my carnal nature. Heard a fellow say one time that he didn't have one, but he's exercising and he's lying. I've got, I've got a carnal nature. This whole world we live in is mighty hard to beat. We get a thorn with every rose, but ain't the rose this week. So wrote the Georgia poet. This is a wonderful world with its mighty ships plowing the deep, with its planes jet propelled, with its radio and television, with its rockets careening in outer space, with its superstructure of nations, with its gleaming skyscrapers. It's a wonderful world. And uh, it's attractive. But it hates Jesus. And uh, I find it appealing. I still have my carnal nature. And I, I, but I, thank God I've got another nature too. And it's not the rule of a, the carnal nature is not the rule of a Christian. A young man came to my office one day and told me a story of his defeat and dropped his head on my desk and wept and said, Dr. Parker, I must be just a, uh, just a naturally born sinner. Well, I said, you are, son, but so am I. 
So am I. But uh, the old nature is not the rule of the child of God. We have victory in Jesus Christ. Rise above the old nature and walk with God. Let us go forth then without the camp. Now, I don't like to bear reproach. I don't like to be misunderstood. I stood on a street corner one night up in Michigan preaching. I was in a meeting. I think there were 17 churches in that meeting. Uh, we were in a tent. And uh, a mission man said, you're not having a Saturday night service. said, would you come down and preach on the street? Well, something in here wouldn't let me say no. I said, yes, it was supposed to be my rest night. But I went down there and I stood there preaching. Really, they call it that, but it was for the other preachers. Rest night. But I stood there preaching and uh, an old bum was sitting on the curb and a poor fallen woman was standing in the shadow of a building there listening intently on what I was saying. A few other people scattered around. And some cars pulled up across the street and some young people got out. They were in evening dress. Young ladies had on beautiful dresses and young men had on tuxedos. One young fellow, I think he was a man, came running across the street. He said, come on, Jay. He said, let's go. And uh, he saw me and he said, come on, come on back. He said, this is good. This is rich. They stood there and laughed at me. And I just kept preaching. That old bum hung on every word I said. And I turned to them. Come on, young people. Just kept on talking about the love of God for a poor lost run in Wayward Center. And uh, one of the girls said, come on, let's go. He's just a fanatic. They went down the street, turned into a nightclub that advertised a lewd show to suck their cigarettes and sip their cocktails and talk about an old-time preacher the old-time gospel that's warmed this cold world's heart for 2,000 years, call him a fanatic. When I've got a lot more sense than she has, poor little thing. She may be standing in a shadow somewhere today, tonight. Well, I, I, I love their souls, of course, but I don't like to have a little empty-headed thing who, if her brains were atomic bombs, would not blow her hat off on a windy day, call me a fanatic when I've got more sense than she has. But let them laugh. They laughed at Jesus. They bowed down. They wagged their heads. They said, Hail, King of the Jews! If you're the Son of God, prove that. Come down from the cross. Jesus could have stepped down off of that cross. But if he had done so, they would have said he was a strong man. He pulled himself off of the cross. Or they would have said God delivered him. But they would have denied his deity. He stayed on the cross and proved it. After three days, he got up out of the grave and made a laughing stock out of hell. Colossians tells us that he made a show of them openly. Principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Say, they laughed at Jesus, but he just, as our brother sang, bowed his head and gave up the spirit. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called... More than 144,000, more than 12 legions. But he prayed and bowed his head. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let us go forth to him without the camp. Now, it doesn't sound very pleasant. I don't like dying groans. I don't like crosses. Crosses spell death. I don't like graves. That was a place of death. Place the skull where he is crucified. 
outside the city. That was a place of execution. But that's where we're called to go and stand for Jesus. It means death, death to the world, death to sin, and death to self. And the world's attractive. And we've got to make our decision. Well, I'm going to stand with Jesus because He loves me and the world hates me. You know, that's really why I'm a Christian, because it dawned on me one Sunday morning that Jesus loved me. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I'd been a church member 11 years. I joined the Baptist Church in Edgewood, Texas when I was 8 years of age, but I was not saved. I was teaching a class, a center, and uh, the lesson was on the stoning of Stephen. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin to their charge. I said, boys, Stephen had the Spirit of Christ. He prayed for those who put him on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I said, boys, your sins crucified Jesus. I'd heard Dr. Bob Schuler, Phil Schuler's father, say that the week before. They bowed their heads and started praying. I told them, pray for me. I'm not saved. And I was born again that day, but I was drawn to Jesus. His love got hold of me. I'm not a Christian because I'm afraid of hell. If I had no other reason I'd be a Christian, I sure don't want to go to hell. Hell's an awful place. It's God's penitentiary. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. I don't want to go there. And I want to go to heaven, but that's not why I'm a Christian. Heaven gets sweeter all the time. Have my loved ones there. And I want to go there, and I'm going there by the grace of God when I die. I intend to go there. I mean to go there. I do. I'm going to walk down streets of gold under a cloudless sky. I'm going to sit down on the bank of a river flowing from the throne of God. And it's so beautiful it makes everybody happy. I'm going to look up into the face of Jesus and hear him call my name. He knows my name. First name, last name, middle name, nickname. Knows your name. Knows all about you. You're down-sitting and you're uprising. There's not a word in your tongue, but he, he knows that altogether. Everything you've said tonight, he, he knows about it. He knows your thoughts. He understands your thoughts are far off. And I'm glad he does. I'm glad he knows all about me, even my sins, because... He put it all on Jesus Christ, but all on himself. I'm going to see Jesus. But until I saved, I didn't care anything about seeing Jesus. Really, I thought it would be wonderful to go up to heaven and see the beautiful place. Think of the beauties of heaven. An old sinner got up there without Jesus. He'd be as bad as a student in Bob Jones who's not saved. Be as miserable, more so, Maybe. Get up there and look around, and he'd say, I never dreamed it could be this wonderful. I knew it was going to be wonderful. And that music, what wonderful music, what wonderful music we have here. How it thrills my soul to hear you singing and hear the special numbers. But think of the music of heaven with millions of voices, all in tune, 
all on pitch, in harmony, and uh, we filled up to a mighty crescendo of praise, praising Jesus, and the leader cuts it off, and everything's quiet, and somebody stands up to sing an aria. Do you know who that'll be? That'll be Jesus. He's going to sing. I, I never had thought of that until some months ago. I guess it's been two or three years. I was reading in Zephaniah 3.17, and I read, I will rejoice over thee with joy and singing. That's a solo I don't want to miss. He'll sing many times. Think of that. The music of heaven. But uh, if a sinner got up there, he'd say, I never heard such music as that. He'd say, uh, say, uh, that's wonderful, but I'll bet this gang could really go with some rock music. When are they going to have a rock concert? They'd say, friend, you'll have to go to the other place to get that. <laughs> and he'd want to get out and go to the other place because he belongs. I quoted a verse about these people who will have their part in the lake of fire. It's their part. They belong. They have an affinity. They don't go to hell because they murder and steal and drink and cuss and kill. They go to hell because they're sinners. And they do those things because they're sinners. It's a matter of nature. And we don't go to heaven because of good works. We perform good works because we have a new nature. And we're going to heaven. It's a matter of nature. So if you get a new nature, get it this side of the grave. That's why I'm, I'm not a Christian because I have an influence on others. I do have. A little hair casts a shadow. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that cup caper and sawdust rings and common folk like you and me are building for eternity? To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules, and each must make ere life has flown a stumbling block or a stepping stone. You are either lifting people up toward God or you're dragging people down toward hell. Life you live day by day is either sending somebody to heaven or somebody to hell. The day I came to Jesus, ten boys followed me down the aisle at Sunday school class. One day I got on a, an elevator in the Admiral Sims Hotel, Mobile. And a handsome man asked, are you Monroe Parker? I said, yes, sir. He said, give me your hand. I followed you to Jesus Christ. You know, if I had no other reason, I'd, I'd be a Christian. But I've had the joy of taking the hands of thousands who've come to trust Jesus. You say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Well, neither was my godly mother. She raised two preacher boys. You just don't know where your influence will go. It just keeps on going right out into eternity. And if I had no other reason, I'd be a Christian. I want my life to count successfully. I want it to count for something good. That's not who I am. But it dawned on me that day that Jesus loved me. His love got me and drew me. And so I'll go out and stand with him. Let the world hate me. Let ecclesiastical dictators hate me. And compromisers, because I won't compromise with them, do what they do. Let's go forth and stand outside the camp.
bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. Now, where are you going to stand? Well, you say you've made the world so nice. and No, I didn't make it that way. It's just that way. Beautiful city. This world's represented by a city here in this text. Especially the city of Jerusalem. But it's represented, he says, we have no continuing city. Beautiful city. Lights, laughter, fun, music, sport. Over there and out here, dying groans and crosses and misunderstanding and criticism. Graves, you say, give me the city. Well, I'll go out to Jesus because he loves me and the city hates me. Stand with him. And let's take an inventory and see what we have now. Time passes. Look over there. See that city? Hear the music? But it's the cheap, offbeat, syncopated music of a godless world. It's the rock music of a confused, sinful generation. And it strikes discord, modulates to mourning. Now instead of music, there's mourning. There's light. But it's a garish, artificial, neon kind of light that flickers and fades. And now instead of light, there's darkness as black as the ebony pall of the dead. I can't see. But in the blinding light of that atomic explosion, the glowing, the afterglow, instead of gleaming skyscrapers, I see yawning craters. Over here, Dying groans, these are not dying groans by young friends and older friends. These are shouts of victory. This is no cross. I took it as a cross and bore it as a cross. But God touched with miracle power and turned it into a throne. This is not a place of death. This is a place of life. Not a place of reproach, it's a place of honor. This is not a grave, it's a vestibule that leads into a pearly white city whose builder and maker is God. One that's paved with gold. We here have no continuing city. Won't continue. New York, founded on a veritable rock, will sink down between the Yonkers and the Hudson and the East River into oblivion. Chicago, sprawling all around the lake, will sink down into the deep. San Francisco and its peninsula will sink down between the Pacific Bay. Paris the beautiful will sink down by the side. Rome on seven eternal hills will sink down by the yellow Tiber into oblivion. We have no continuing city. But we seek one which is to come. 
Jesus, in order that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.